0: Welcome to the Light Bears Institute podcast, where we seek to improve biblical literacy by discussing key storylines and themes in scripture. Well, hi, everyone. Kevin McCollum here. I'm in the studio with Brett Arndt. Brett serves as our campus director at the University of Arkansas, and I'm glad you're here today, Brett. It's a pretty exciting time of the year. Fall semester has just kicked off. And uh, you have a lot of students around you these times.
1: Of we, year. We, have, we do have a ton, which is fun. That's, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the year. Uh, it's, it's tiring in some ways. It's kind of surviving until Labor Day, uh, but it's fun. It's a fun it's great place. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the things that we um, really emphasize with our students at the beginning is just the, this idea of community. And, and that community has a lot to do with relationships and sacrifice and all these things that we talk to them out as we, as we house them together. But one of the things that we like to do, or we require them to do really is to take Institute classes where we infuse that community with biblical truth. And that's really the, um, reason we have, you know, our Institute last year, we did a year of old and new Testament survey. So we did an overview
1: Genesis revelation. This year's focus is different. What are we focusing on this year? So, so, so this year's course is is called we we're calling it theology in practice, uh, but but really what it is is systematic theology, and uh, and so one of the goals of our institute class uh, is is to help students become biblically literate and to help them become doctrinally sound, and so uh, last year, uh, kind of walking through Scripture from from Genesis to Revelation that 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 meta narrative of God glorifying himself by dwelling with the Holy covenant people uh, wanting students to understand that so that they can understand the whole theme of scripture, the story of scripture, helping them become biblically literate uh, and really with that foundation, hopefully uh, building on top of that. And then from that uh, pulling out some doctrines and helping them become doctrinally sound. And so that's why we've, we've chosen the the theology and practice or systematic theology course. So this idea of systematic. What is systematic theology? You use the term. What, what it really is that. To, to to back up on that a little bit. So even the term theology. Mm-hmm. So what is theology? Uh, theology is simply it's it's the study of God, and so that comes from from the Greek word theos, which is God, and then ology is the study of, and so systematic theology. It is looking at, not just like in Bible survey, not looking at just simply Genesis and and what's the story of Genesis, what's the theme, where's Christ in the story, but systematic theology is is looking at all of Scripture, so from Genesis to Revelation, and in some ways systematically looking at the whole story, saying what all of Scripture says about a particular topic. Uh, And so that would be, uh, what does all of Scripture say about sin? What does all of Scripture say about man, the nature of man? What does it say about Christ? Or salvation, or the application of salvation, and so doing systematic theology. What the, the really the goal of that is to kind of come uh, to summarize what all the scripture says about a topic, and then come up with a doctrine from that, so that uh, you can be uh, as our, our hope is to be doctrinally sound.
0: Yeah, and you know, working with students, I, I was um, struck the other day listening to some um, some statistics about Generation Z. And one of the things that we see in this generation is their value of religion is less than the generations prior to them in a significant sense. So they really don't value a systematic truth or a truth that transcends sort of their own opinion uh, as culturally. Now that doesn't define all of them, of course. Um, And so systematic becomes even more important as a study when Um, they don't have a source for that typically in their normal Gen Z circles. Um, It also promotes a challenge when you have a student base (laughs) that may not be as interested in absolute truth. Um, And so I think about Ephesians 4, right? We're trying to Keep them from being tossed by every wave right. of doctrine that pushes them around, and we see it, don't you? As you work oh, with students, absolutely, sort yeah. of the
1: effects of a bad theology yeah. or a lack of theology. Well, and even even to that point of of I mean, even theology of even in this course, what we're not trying to do is is it's it's not that we're simply trying to convince these students to think thoughts of God or so to speak, be theologians. Uh, they already are thinking thoughts of God. That they, they already have certain doctrines. Mm. What we want to make sure is, is it right? Is it biblical? Is it true? We, we want to line up with their thoughts of God and, and what they think about God with what is actually true about God. And, and so hopefully uh, uh, that, that's what, what this Theology and Practice course can do is to do that.
0: Great. So we start with an introduction of theology, mm-hmm. an importance. Well, I think a great point, we all have a theology. Right. We have this realized Theology that we live. Yeah, we out. all think thoughts of God, but yeah, that's right. But we've chosen in our theological year to start with bibliology. Right. So, what is bibliology, and why would we start with bibliology when there's really a lot of systematic right. topics you could choose from? Yeah,
1: yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. So, so uh, bibliology is a study of of the Bible itself. Uh, what does the Bible say about itself? What are its attributes? If you don't start with Scripture, where are you pulling your belief? Now, I mean, you can pull it from nature or tradition, but to have a biblical view on Christ, you've got to start with the Bible. And so you've got to understand what the Bible is, uh, uh, what it says about itself, and really build off of that foundation. Yeah, there's a warning in Colossians, you know, not to be held captive to hollow
0: and deceptive thinking. Right. It depends on the human traditions of man and basic principles of the world. And so left to our own understanding, we're going to lean on these basic things, the traditions, we're going to go with feeling, we're going to go with emotion, we're going to go with counsel that may not be accurate around us. But Scripture is clear, and it is before us. And so to start there, we want our students to understand that we're not apologizing for our understanding and belief that this is
1: an authoritative book that demands our attention and our allegiance. Right. Absolutely. I I mean, it's a reliable book. Uh, uh, I mean, no other ancient text, and this is not simply a, a, a faith or Christian statement, uh, but but it, it's it's just a historical statement. No other ancient document or text has has the 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 amount of copies that we have of scripture has been copied the amount of times and in so old in their copies that we have of scripture. It's a reliable text. Uh, its message has been well preserved over the years. And, and it is, as you dig into it, as it attests to itself, you see the authority of the Word of God. And so, yeah, we, we don't need to, as believers, apologize for it, uh, because it is the standard of truth. You use
0: a term last night as you taught the students the canon. So we use the word scripture. We use the word Bible. Canon isn't typically a word that we throw around right, in right. modern <laughs> society. But what is the canon?
1: Yeah. So so the, the the canon is essentially all the books of the Bible that belong in the Bible. Uh, and, and so uh, and this is I mean early church. Uh, uh, I, I mean it was. Relatively understood, right? You had the Council of Nicaea uh, that, that kind of uh, decided uh, uh, what what books were, were in Scripture. But the canon of Scripture is, is what are all the books that are in the Bible and should they be in there? That that's really this called this question of the canon. And and, uh, and, and to be honest, the, the, there's some debate over that today. Uh, uh, well, there's a certain denomination, namely the Catholic denomination, that that would add uh, the, the Apocrypha. Uh, in the Canon of Scripture whereas your Protestant denominations would say, well well no we, we disagree with that um, but but the, the canon is all of the books uh, that belong in the Bible uh, and for for me as a Protestant, that would be the 66 books of Scripture um, that, that are in the Bible that would be the canon and it's a fair question that, that, that's called the question of the Canon. Uh, I'm sure people have wondered, uh what books are supposed to be in the Bible? Are we missing something or should something have been added? That's a fair question. To I mean scripture's clear to add or subtract from from the word of the Lord is, is wrong, as as uh, Moses writes in Deuteronomy. And to to add to scripture would be to add an additional measure that the lord did not command his people and to subtract from scripture would be to to take away from from a command that the lord has given his people that that they could not obey him fully and so it's a, it's an important issue uh, of the, this this idea of the canon of scripture and what should be in there
0: yeah and you hear um the gospel of
1: thomas for example yeah. <laughs> comes up it's it's a it's a
0: writing that uh, comes up here and there it has it for generations um, but but we see the canon. We see the canon closed. We see the consistency of the canon. Right. that the church has affirmed for decades for, upon decades for millennia. millennia yeah, absolutely, exactly that this is um, these are the books. These are the letters. And even
1: and even when we look at the apocrypha, that that wasn't added into into scripture until the Council of Trent, and I think that was in 1546, as a response to really the Reformation. Right. And, and so even in church history, the apocrypha. Uh, has not been added to scripture. Uh, Maccabees, which is in the Apocrypha, attests to its own lack of authority. That's right. Uh, looking
0: uh, for a prophet. Maccabees. Looking for a prophet. Wish a prophet would come
1: to help us understand uh, yeah. these things. Jo- uh, Josephus, who's a famous uh, first century uh, um, uh, Jewish historian, probably one of the most famous, attests to the lack of the Maccabees' own authority as well. And, and so uh, that's, the, the Apocrypha was added in the Council of Trance really for the Catholic Church uh, to to kind of maybe to a rebuttal uh, mm-hmm. to to the Reformation and, and to this Protestant movement. So for church history, the canon has as you, to, to what you said has been closed, uh, and, and and for millennia that's been accepted by believers that the six six books we have are the inspired word of God. It is uh, it is uh, the, the 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 word that the Lord would have us have. And Scripture itself attests to how it should be canon. And you can see that uh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, of Scripture being built and Scripture attesting to what should be in itself in the Old mm-hmm. Testament, and the same with the New Testament. You, you have uh, uh, Peter calling Paul's writing Scripture. Right. You have Paul affirming Old Testament Scripture and affirming Luke's writings uh, in Scripture, too. I think that's in 2 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, uh, and so you have Scripture itself, the, the, the Lord in his wisdom, his own authority attesting to its own canonization, and you can do a great study of that. Uh, but but what we have is the closed canon that the Lord in his wisdom and sovereignty intended us to have.
0: Yeah, and, and for perspective, this wasn't a decision made in the 1950s, right? Right. Like the canon has been closed since the 400s, a thousand years right. before the Apocrypha was introduced. Yeah. The canon had already been considered closed, you know, by church councils. And, um, and so we shouldn't assume that some dusty book is going to be found, right. you know, in a cave Absolutely. or a scroll that's going to... That's going to throw all right. that out of whack. So, good discussion there. Um, we use the word of God sometimes loosely, yes. Sometimes accurately. There are other things in Scripture called the Word of God, um, and sometimes we, you know, we have a word from God and we kind of throw some of these etherical mm-hmm. things out there. But talk about this term, the Word of God, and how the Bible itself is a little bit different or distinctly right. different.
1: Yeah, you. yeah. So, so the, the Bible speaks of. Uh, various forms of the Word of God. I mean, the, the, there's uh, there's the Word of God as a person, uh, and we see this in Revelation 19. We see this in, in John chapter one, uh, and that's that's Christ, right? It, it is uh, it is God the Son, who's Jesus, who has the the role of most clearly in his person and in his words, communicating uh, the character of God. And the will of God and that's Jesus as the Word of God. Uh, there's there's the Word of God and there's multiple these, but you, you could be the Word of God by human lips. Uh, and we see we see this in Jeremiah. we see this with the prophets of the Old Testament uh, uh, of that the Lord says, I will put my words in your mouth uh, uh, but it's still the Word of God, uh, uh, but they're spoken by human lips. The, the, there's uh, uh, the Word of God by personal address. Uh, uh, like he does Adam and Eve, like he does uh, Moses through the burning bush, or Job terrifyingly out of the the, the whirlwind in Job. Uh, but but scriptures is really the written word, uh, and that's really the focus that that this class focuses on is, is the written word of God, and it's the written word by the way that tells us about those other forms of the word of God. And so uh, it, it is the Lord in His sovereignty. Uh, I mean, you, you see this. I believe this is in uh, Exodus twenty four. Where the first form of the written word was when God himself wrote the Ten Commandments on on two stone tablets, and then the scripture says, and then he gave it to the people. And so just the the, the goodness of the Lord that he wrote on that, that written word, we have there the first written word, and he gave it to the people. And then the question is, well, was anything else added to the written word? And the answer is yes. And so we see that Moses, I think in Deuteronomy 32, when it says, and Moses, when he had finished writing all the words of the Lord to the very end, uh, it says he took that, he took those first five books, and he took it, uh, uh, laid it by, uh, by the side of the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing, right, in the Ark of the Covenant was uh, the two tablets that God wrote on. And so Moses sets that in the Holy of Holies, by the Ark of the Covenant to show equality uh, of, of the written word. So, though it wasn't technically written by God like the tablets, it was written by Moses, but the Lord, they were the very words of God, as scripture says. And it is scripture showing equality and authority that, hey, this written word is on the same level as the very tablets that God himself wrote. And then we see this happen in 1 Samuel. Well, uh, that that uh, or Joshua, and we see this happening all throughout the Old Testament. That scriptures are claiming to its own authority that yes, it is the written word of God. I think it's First Peter or Second Peter that says no man writes of his own accord, but but as he's moved along by the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, and and you can, I mean, we can spit off multiple other Scripture verses, uh, but all Scripture, Second Timothy three sixteen says, is God breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And right? So it's all God's word. It's all God's God breathed, uh, and it is the written word of God that we have, and and that's what the, the course that we're focusing on uh, is the written word. You know, you said Second Timothy three, um, you know sixteen seventeen about the Scripture being
0: God breathed, and it's profitable, right? It's for teaching, yeah. correction, uh, rebuke, um, training, and it doesn't give any re- like limitations on itself. It doesn't right. say that you know the the words of Jesus in red in your Bible are profitable. It doesn't say that the Psalms are the most profitable or Paul's letters. And you said this earlier, but one of the attributes of Scripture is its authoritative, right. and its authority isn't something that man gave it. It's something that man recognized as the spirit bore witness to this being the word of God. And we've accepted this scripture as a gift of God authoritatively, right? Right. It it has weight and bearing. Uh, We align ourselves up. So uh, we know about the word of God, Christ, as you said, through the written word. What happens when we
1: um, think we've heard a word from God? Uh, somebody, I think it's some old Puritan <laughs> says, he says, if, uh, if you, you've heard a revelation that, that goes with scripture, th- th- then it's irrelevant. And if you've heard of a word, uh, uh, that goes against scripture, it's heresy. Uh, yeah. and, and, and so, uh, scripture is our ultimate authority. And this is not to say that, that the Lord, uh, can necessarily can't give a, a, a revelation. I mean, I don't want to necessarily put him in the box, but as Christians, the only authoritative thing we have in god's sovereignty is the written word and, and so th- that is our standard of truth that is our th- authoritative the very words of god uh th- that we have to dictate our life how to know him how to live a life that glorifies him and so the written word is the standard and so uh we we've got to we've got to test that right you you look at somebody like like joseph smith who 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 had a vision or Muhammad or, or a lot of these religions start with a maybe a supernatural experience. The Lord through Paul in his wisdom talks about this in Galatians that if anyone even an angel of the Lord preaches a gospel contrary to the written word, what's been recorded down, let him be accursed. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I I I'm sure maybe Joseph Smith did see something, but what he should have done instead of looking to uh, uh um to to uh, validate uh, that experience, he should have said. Uh, what does scripture say about this? He should have looked through the lens of, but what does scripture say? This is a gospel, pride, let him be a curse, but instead he said, well, I can't understand this. Uh, this has got to be true. Uh, and, and now we have a, a Mormonism, which is entirely contrary to scripture. Scripture has got to be the ultimate standard in truth over experience. Uh, it, it's, it's Our experience does not dictate our theology, but rather our theology dictates our experience. We have to have that foundation of scripture and of truth that leads us into experience and not the other way around. Because when we do that, we make our experience the ultimate authority, or we make our emotions or our feeling the ultimate authority, and, and our our experiences differ. Uh, our emotions are fickle, and there's no standard. It, it's wishy-washy. And, and then you really kind of get to what you have today in the world of, of what is truth. I mean, in some ways, this is the question, right? Truth came into the world as a person and, uh, standing before the ruler of the day, the ruler said, what is truth? This is the same thing as of today. The world doesn't want this truth. The world crucified, uh, truth incarnate, uh, because we want to, just like in the garden, uh, we want to define truth for ourselves. Uh, and yet praise God that in his mercy, he's given us authority and truth through his written written word and through the help of the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that we need to take that and apply it to our lives and let that be the ultimate standard. Hmm. Very strong. Good. I think um,
0: it's so timely. You know, yeah. um, we have an entire industries built around subtleties in the Christian faith that may or may <laughs> yeah. not line up with scripture. Yeah. And so, if I have a sort of a, you know, a, a tangent view on something, right. there's probably an author or a series of authors out there that I can go by and, and, and dig into and, and sort of validate my opinion yeah. that may or may not have any scriptural basis but the scripture you said also is sufficient yeah like it is sufficient like it not only has authority but it is sufficient in and of itself to answer the questions you know what do we need to know about how to know who God is how to worship him how to love him how to obey him right what do we need to know about salvation all these eternal matters the scripture defines all those things in and of itself sufficiently right. does not it
1: right it does there's a verse Deuteronomy 29 29. It says, uh, um, for the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed uh, through the written word belong to us and to our children forever, so that we may do all the words of this law, so that we might obey it. Uh, uh, the Lord in it, the scripture is sufficient, that, that is enough, that, that we can know him, obey him, uh, that it's sufficient for all we need for life and godliness. Uh, and there's a danger. And there are in certain Christian circles, uh, that there's popular books that say, yeah, I had scripture. Uh, but I wanted something more essentially saying, yeah, scripture wasn't sufficient for me. I wanted an experience. I wanted something else. And that's when we've got to say, hold on, what are we basing as sufficient? Scripture's got to be sufficient because time and time in church history will show that, that when we look to other things, um, and really what that it's an authoritative issue. We, we are, we don't want scripture to be sufficient because we, again, it's, it comes back to us. We want to, uh, Define it for ourselves or do something else. But but Scripture, praise God, in the Lord's goodness, it is sufficient for all we need to know about Him, uh, salvation, a, a, and how we can follow Him and know Him. Uh, uh, I mean, just John 17, 3, this is eternal life, to know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom He sent. Scripture is sufficient for us to know Him intimately that way. So maybe a skeptic, Brett,
0: to everything you just said, would say, well, some of Scripture is authoritative, some of it is necessary, um, but I don't know about this whole inerrancy thing. Right. So you see that, that debate pop up in church history, especially in modern times. We've seen that a lot. This idea, is it in, inerrant? And you have sort of behind the closed door in theological circles, a lot of battling. The culture at large, I think, is just sort of unaware, and yet it bleeds out and affects the local church. It affects right. community. It affects people's understanding of Scripture. So let's just address this idea of
1: inerrancy, what does it mean that scripture is inerrant? And give some of your thoughts. Uh So, so a, a quick working definition of inerrancy would be that scripture, in its original manuscripts, does not affirm anything contrary to fact. That the Bible tells the truth in what it everything it says. Now, what that doesn't mean is that I mean, if if I'm uh wanting to be a doctor, the Bible's not an anatomy book, and so it, it's I can't study scripture to figure out how to how to how to repair a broken leg. That, that that's not the point of it. But in what it communicates, uh it, it does not affirm anything, anything contrary to 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 fact. It is inerrant in its message. It is inerrant in its theology, in its understanding of God. Uh in in and uh, this you can get into infallibility as well that, that, that it, it does not lead anybody into error. Uh that that it's that in its original manuscripts uh, uh that, that the message was pure and true. And so, uh, um, you, you can get into um, uh, talks of, uh, there's textual variants here and there, and there are. There, there are a few. The, 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 the amazing thing about Scripture is that in the New Testament alone, we have over 22,000 copies uh, of New Testament uh, manuscripts alone. No other ancient document even comes close. If we stack those on top of, uh, I think, all of the Scripture we have on top of one another, it equates to three Empire State Buildings. Uh, uh, the next closest ancient document is about the size of a podium. Yeah. Uh, it's not even close. And, and the amazing thing is, with all of these documents, none of the theology or message changes at all. Uh, one of the biggest textual critics of the day is a guy named Bart Ehrman. Uh, and even he will say, uh, as an agnostic, as somebody who, who would say he is defected from the faith, he will say, zero theology. Zero message has changed at all in any uh, of the translating. And that's the beautiful thing. We have so many copies uh, and yet all of those copies affirm the same. And so even in, even in the Greek and in the complexity of language and without getting into this too much, but in the Greek, uh, there's seven different ways to say John loves Mary. Uh, not the John loves the Mary or the John loves Mary, but simply John loves Mary. And so you somebody can translate that one way. And somebody in this manuscript can translate it another way but you're still saying the same thing it's still, still the same loves message. Mary. John still loves <laughs> Mary and so some people will take that text and say ah it's not the same uh but but the message is the same and, and so uh that there are a few te- that's called a textual variance uh but but like 98 I think either 97 98 percent of the and this is just New Testament 22,000 <laughs> documents the message is the same. It is in iner- it is inerrant. It does not change. It is te- tells the truth in all that it says. Uh, the Bible is the gold standard because of the amount of text, because of how many and how old we have, and and if there were to be error, uh, then you would find it in just the amount that we have. But to to give more clarity and affirmation uh, to Scripture's inerrancy, uh, to its authority. Uh, they all the more copies we get, the more it just affirms that the message is true, that it is not that it is not in error, but it, it but but um that it's authoritative. Um and, and that's really a comforting, phenomenal thing. Yeah, and, uh, a, and, a, gift and a gift from the Lord. Yeah. The
0: Lord didn't have to do that, but in his kindness, he's opened up the Dead Sea Scrolls right. or or yeah. different ancient texts and continually just affirmed the truth of the scripture. Yeah, I, and, and and that's the Lord's kindness, obviously. Yeah. Um, affirming gives us a great deal of confidence, and I think the opposite is true as well. We have a great deal of confidence because so much scholarship has been um, undertaken to sort of debunk Scripture to to show that well this can't be true, this can't be um, you know consistent. There there are you know these um, inconsistencies sure. or, or contradictions, and those have continually fallen flat for um, millennia as well and so both the scholarship that seems to be neutral in its perspective um and scholarship that seems to be anti scripture continue to fall in the same place is what we have today is a perfect representation Absolutely. of what um yeah. was there originally and um and man what what a great comfort you know that is again in a confidence as we read it as we teach it and certainly the greatest witness is that it just bears witness to our soul yeah. as the Holy Spirit right. brings understanding to the text that this is the word of God spoken to us. Right.
1: Um, the very words. And and even with inerrancy, and, and just to, to say one more point on that, of, of even some people will say, yeah, but, but isn't, without getting into, into textual criticism or anything like that, but they will say, uh, but isn't the Old Testament kind of null and void because we have the new Testament or, or, or doesn't the new Testament affirm something like circumcision? Why, why did the old Testament affirm circumcision? New Testament doesn't. Well, the reality is that's the, the helpful piece of understanding the whole story of scripture. That's right. uh, it's, it's it's not that scripture changes its mind. It, it, I mean, and, and to, to say this as, as lightly as I can, it's just a poor understanding of the story of scripture. Uh, um, Romans talks about that at length as far as baptism being right, that the, the new sign for circumcision, and and he gets into that. Of uh, uh, and so, uh, it, it, some people will say, "Yeah, but isn't this a contradiction here?" Simply taking stories from Scripture, and the reality is, we just need to understand the whole story of Scripture more. Uh, and and it's, I mean, a lot of that just comes simply from from a. Uh, not a good hermeneutic, or not a good study method, right. of or not a good understanding of the meta narrative, the story of Scripture. And so, Scripture's clear; it does not contradict itself in its message. It does not change its mind. Uh, and uh, I mean, for me personally, if there's things I don't understand, uh, uh, I mean, as I've dove into Scripture more and more, and Scripture makes it clear, Scripture affirms itself; it does not contradict, even in its message. And so, that there might be something that we don't understand simply as... Uh, uh, as Augustine did with, 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 with uh, I think it was I think it was Augustine with um uh James was it Augustine that put James in the back of scripture mm-hmm. maybe it was maybe it was Luther uh, um uh, but but that that uh faith without deeds is dead uh and, and that's not simply saying that hey if if, if you don't do something you, you um, it, It's not a statement that's disqualifying Paul's statement of it's by grace you've been saved through faith, but really it's showing, hey, if you've truly been saved, you will do works. And and so it's not that that's contradictory, it's that we need to take all of Scripture and not just isolate a verse, but we need to take all of Scripture and look to understand all of it in its context, because in its message, again, it, it is without error, it does not contradict.
0: There's a consistent story it continues to go back to these right. same themes right. over
1: and over, Old Testament,
0: New Testament. And the New Testament does help us interpret the Old Testament, right? It's the Absolutely. only divinely inspired commentary right. we have on the Old Testament. Right. And so when it seems like the New Testament might be changing the rules a little bit, it's actually bringing clarity or showing how Christ fulfilled those things, right. some of the portions of the law that um, are maybe more um, you know, ceremonial. Um, right. That we, don't, uh, that we don't have to practice anymore. Right. Um, so great discussion uh, yeah. as we think about the word. Just our, again, go back to just this confidence rising up and, and in the integrity of the Bible itself. But as we understand the theology of the Bible, it also speaks to the, the intimacy that we're allowed to have with it. You know, the Bible is a real intimate book. Yeah. It's a personal book. Yeah. It isn't just all about me, as we like to see, as we like to right. sort of flip our theology to be man-centered. And then we're going to run to the local Christian bookstore and buy all of these great books to talk about how I'm amazing and right. God just can't <laughs> wait to hang out with me every day and all these things. Um, but we recognize, one, it's a very Christ-centered book. Yeah. We see God's amazing sovereignty and His goodness in all of it, His story of redemption as He um, calls us to live among Him as His holy covenant people, Right. But it, but it also just affirms this intimacy that we have a God who initiated a relationship, right. documented the journey that we're to have before Him, the journey He's taken right. um, to redeem His people, and the journey we're going to take in the right. future, right, right. For, for all eternity. So it's a it's a deeply personal book, and I think sometimes that we forget that, or or right. in in a study of theology. We can forget that there's an intimacy as well that Absolutely. we have in God. And I think the Scripture just calls us out. You know, Psalms continue telling us this is a delight to our soul. Mm. It's water. You know, what I mean, all of these things that that call us back to just the, the lover of our soul. And the Scripture itself is that that document that we're to come back to to be reminded of sin, reminded of our desperate need for a Savior, reminded of the goodness of our Savior and the eternal hope we have for those who have repented and come to Christ and, uh, and the certainty of his return and all this great stuff that we're going to study throughout the semester, right? right? As we go right. systematically, topic by topic. And I think these podcasts are going to be a lot of fun to dive deep into some, some difficult Absolutely. topics. Um, I want to end with um, 2 Peter 1. I love this passage because we think about um, how cool it would have been to, to walk with Jesus. I think mm. about the, the road to Emmaus, you know, Jesus is explaining to these men how the whole of Old Testament has been about him all along. Now, that would be a fascinating conversation to listen into. We think, man, or if I had seen Jesus, you know, feed the 5,000 or heal the blind or listen to the woman at the well, her reaction with Christ, you know, there would be something that would boost my faith. But Peter tells us, even though he himself had the first, you know, uh, first row seat to the the ministry of Christ on earth. He witnessed the transfiguration, he He, said, and yeah. That's (laughs) right. And yet, even in witnessing the transfiguration, he said, we now have something more sure. Mm. What does he say? The prophetic word. Mm. He says, we'll do well to pay attention to it as a light shining into a dark place. So he says, yes, I saw the transfiguration. Yes, I was with Christ day by day. But we now have something even more sure than my own memory, yeah. my own understanding, my own interpretation of what my eyes, my own experience, my own experience, yeah. um, and that is the written word of God. Man. And that that should fall heavy and speak yeah. speak volumes to
1: all of us trying to figure out how to navigate yeah. our walk with Christ. Yeah, it? I mean, you, you would totally if if you were to say somehow if we can manufacture, hey, uh, tonight, Lightbearers students at Institute, we're going to have Peter the Apostle here, uh, and for Peter to say, hey. Attendance might go it, up it might go up. Yeah, we might have. Uh, actually, we'd have to probably get a bigger room. Um, but for still to say, hey, more sure, we've got the word. Amen. We've got the written word that it is sufficient. Whether it's as long as we stick to this, His written word that is the word of God. And whether it's coming uh, from 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 Peter or or, or from from here, right? It's it, this is the written word of God that this is sufficient. To your point, point. and praise God. What a gift. What a mercy. And, and and what love of our of our of our God to to give us a way for us to know him and really hear from him in his word that mean we might have a relationship with him. Well I look forward to unpacking it, you know, the word and different systematic
0: topics over the next um two semesters as we look yeah. at theology and practice. And I appreciate you coming in today, Brett. It's always it's fun, great. Man. Love love your heart, love your passion for Christ and your understanding of scripture. And so grateful for what you do yeah. in serving our students as yeah. well. Absolutely, man. It was fun. You've been listening to the Lightbears Institute podcast, a production of Lightbears Ministries. For more information, visit lightbears.com.